Welcome to Bakersfield First Assembly of God's podcast. We are so excited that you joined us today. Our lead pastor, Pastor James Lair, is fired up and ready to preach. I hope you enjoy this sermon. We, uh, Jolene and I, traveled to Victorville this weekend. Don't ask me why. No, uh, there was a reason. My, our son-in-law was getting ordained, so we were there to celebrate that milestone in their life. And while they were getting ordained, we were watching their children. That's the real reason we were there, is, is to take care of the two boys. And I'm telling you, they are busy boys. And uh, oh my goodness, the things that we are now reliving, you know, that we did when we had children of our own. But we love it. We had a great weekend, and then we headed back yesterday afternoon, and we ran into this massive traffic jam. We were just out this side of Boron, and everything came to a dead halt. I guess the semi had rolled over and caught fire. We didn't know that until the very end. I mean, you wonder, why are we here? Why are we? It's a parking lot on the 58. And then you finally see the truck, and it's like, oh, that's why we're here. But we literally sat in our car for an hour, motionless, not, not even you know, being able to creep forward every now and then, which, which finally happened when we got through. But for most of the time, we sat still on the 58. Now, I got to tell you, normally, I would have been going nuts. I'm not good with lines. I'm not good waiting. I'm not good for traffic jams. That just has to do something in my body that raises my temperature. I don't know about anybody else besides me or someone will admit it for you. So normally I would have been going nuts. You know, I, I had to get home and finish this sermon, you understand. So it was for a godly reason. It was godly wrath. But other people were freaking out too because after you sit there for a while, you just got to figure, you know how tempting it is to go in that emergency lane. You know what I'm saying? Y'all have done it. I have too. And usually when I do that, a police officer's right there to, to nab me. But there were people going in the emergency lanes, and I thought about it, but I'm saying, you know, I'm preaching tomorrow, so I need to be righteous today. Uh, and so we're sitting there, and we see these trucks, all these semis, out in the distance on this dirt road. They must have found a dirt road out there. And one of these, these semi-trucks was driving on this dirt road and ran into a power line that was hanging low and just uprooted three power poles. So we got to see some entertainment, but you know, I was a little worried that, oh, great, now it's going to be stopped even more. But there would have been time that would have been me <laughs> taking out power poles, whatever it took. It was 100 degrees outside, but I was cooler than the center seed of a cucumber. According to Andy Griffith. That's an Andy Griffith quote if you want to write that down. It's my favorite show, the Andy Griffith show of all time. And in the middle of all that, somebody had to go potty. But those Joshua trees just don't provide the coverage you need, you know what I'm saying? But in spite of the misery of the moment, I want you to know it was well with my soul. See, I'm learning. I'm learning from my own sermons that no matter what goes on around you, it can still be well in your soul. Isn't this a great segue right back into my message? The topic today is on worship. And worship will make it well for your soul. 
In those times when you can worship the Lord, do you know when Job was told that he had lost everything and his, all of his children, his ten children had died, that his response was to fall down and worship? Because he understood the power of worship. You see, worship isn't just for God. It changes us. It, it blesses us. It ministers to us when we worship the Lord. But there are some key things we need to ha- understand about worship for it to go well with our soul. And I want to share that with you this morning. We're continuing on this story about a woman at the well. Jesus was traveling from Judea in the south to Galilee in the north. And he had to go through the direct route of Samaria. And the Samaritans and the Jews did not like each other. They hated each other. And they certainly didn't want to travel in each other's territory. But Jesus did. It was the most direct route. But that wasn't the only thing. He knew he had a mission from God to reach this woman that nobody else cared about. And he was tired from the journey, so he sat down by a well at midday. It was called Jacob's Well. It had gone back for generations. And this woman, surprisingly, came out to the well in midday. Nobody did that. Nobody would come out in the heat of the day. But there was a reason she did. She was hiding She was ashamed. And yet when she came to the well, Jesus asked her, would you give me a drink? And she was shocked because in that day, a Jewish man would never ask a Samaritan woman for a drink, let alone say anything to her. And then he went even further by offering her a drink of water where she would never thirst again. And she wanted that. She wanted that water. And so Jesus says, okay, bring your husband. And she's like, uh, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, yeah, I know. (laughs) You've had five husbands. And the dude you're with is not your husband. Come on, put a ring on it. And so here is her response. When Jesus speaks to her, consider this flow. First, he he just talks to her with kindness. That was unexpected. And then he asks her for a drink, and then he offers her a drink. And and so Jesus is winning her heart, but it comes to a place where he has to deal with her life, with her sin. And so Jesus gently brings her to that place and says, yes, you've had five husbands. You're right. You told the truth. And here is her response. John 4, 19. Sir, the woman said, I can see you are a prophet. Now, I love this because she shifts gears and gets away from the, the subject of her life very quickly. Verse 20. Our fathers, she gets into a worship debate. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. And so the woman quickly changes the subject, and Jesus lets her go on this rabbit trail. He, he goes ahead and, and, and discusses this subject with her. Now, he's going to bring her back, 
But he, he's kind and he's gentle enough. Okay, you want to talk about worship? Let's do that. And she had asked the question, or she made the statement that, our fa- that her fathers, her ancestors, the Samaritans, had worshipped on a, a particular mountain, but the Jews claimed that you could only worship in Jerusalem at the temple. My first point this morning is this. Number one, worship is not about a particular place. This is important to understand. You know, there are holy places, but how many of you know you, you can worship other places? You can worship at unholy places. You can worship in your car. You can worship at home. You can worship. It doesn't have to be in a church. It doesn't have to be in a building. It doesn't have to be at a place. And while the Jews worshipped at the temple in Jerusalem, the Samaritans worshipped at this mountain called Mount Gerizim in Samaria. And so think about this. The Jews worshipped in one city and the Samaritans worshipped at another mountain. They were so divided they couldn't even worship together. Talk about a segregated worship time. They would not even worship the same God together in the same place. That's a problem. And we see the Life Application New Testament commentary kind of explains why they chose this mountain. The Samaritans had set up a place for worship on Mount Gerizim, basing their authority to do so on Deuteronomy chapter 11, verses 26 through 29, and 27, verses 1 through 8. The Jews followed David in making Jerusalem the center of Jewish worship. The split had come in the days of Ezra and Nehemiah when the Samaritans had offered to help rebuild the temple that had been destroyed by the Babylonians, but they were rebuffed. So there was an ongoing debate between the two groups as to who was correct. And so the Samaritans at one time wanted to help out the Jews and build the temple that had been destroyed, but they weren't pure blood. They had intermarried, and so they were told, no, you can't rebuild the temple. And so they chose a mountain instead that was in their area. And they chose it based on what is said in Deuteronomy chapter 11. Let's read that passage. Verse 26. See, I am setting before you today a a blessing and a curse. This was Moses speaking to the Israelites before they came into the promised land. The blessing if you obey the commands of the Lord your God that I'm giving you today. The curse... If you disobey the commands of the Lord your God and turn from the way I have commanded you today by following other gods which you have not known, which is exactly what they did. Verse 29, when the Lord your God has brought you into the land you are entering to possess, you are to proclaim on Mount Gerizim the blessings and on Mount Ebal the curses. So they weren't two divided nations at this time. And so once they got into the promised lands, so they would never forget, God wanted them to gather on Mount Gerizim and talk about all the blessings. He will bless your going in. He'll bless your coming out. He'll bless your kneading trough. He'll bless your womb. He'll bless all these blessings they were to proclaim on Mount Gerizim. And then, just to keep them honest, they were to claim all the curses on Mount Ebal if they failed to obey the Lord. And so based on this scriptures, the Samaritan says, well, we're not allowed to worship in Jerusalem. So we're going to worship on Mount Gerizim where the blessings came. And that became their holy place. They thought that was the only place where they could worship. It's interesting. People are so caught up in a place of worship. Do you realize in many of the crusades in the Middle Ages were not, were not good? 
They were, they were wrong. But what happened is the Christians felt like, hey, we don't have a holy place. Let's go take Jerusalem back. And I'm just touching on that lightly. Don't, don't send me nasty emails. I can't go into the whole story. But the reality is, is Christians felt like everybody else, the Muslims had Mecca, the Jews had Jerusalem, and the Christians had no place to go. So they started these crusades because they wanted a holy place, not realizing that you don't need a holy place to worship God. You can worship God anytime, anywhere. And yet they were so caught up about a place. And sometimes people get caught up at a building or a location. And while those are holy places, I've been to Jerusalem, it is, there is a sense of God's presence. But God's presence is everywhere. And so they thought the only place they could worship was on the mountain, but Jesus was about to change all that. He's like gonna, he says, oh yeah, that's where you used to work, but I got news for you. A day is coming and has already come. You can worship anywhere because the Holy Spirit's going to be poured out. You see, we don't have to travel to a particular place. Aren't you glad you don't have to climb a mountain to worship God? I got to tell you, if I had to climb a mountain to worship God, I may not be worshiping God much until I got in shape. A couple of guys from the church here took me fishing last year. I won't mention anybody He's sitting in this area. But it was Upper Kern. I'm not just saying Upper Kern. I'm talking Upper, Upper, Upper Kern, where nobody goes. And I was with these gentlemen in their 60s and 70s, and you know what's weird? Going down is easy. It's getting back up. And so we walked down this trail, switchback after switchback, switchback after switchback, till we got to the place, had a great time fishing. But what goes down must come back up. And I'm ashamed to say these elderly men had to wait for me. I was, you know, just, just go on without me. Tell my wife that I died in a happy place. So can you imagine if we had to climb a mountain every time before we could worship God? But because God is present everywhere, we can worship him everywhere, anywhere. Even in the most spiritually dark places, the light of the Lord's presence is there. I want to tell you when I visited our, our daughter and son-in-law and two grandsons in the Middle East, you hear the Muslim call to prayer five times a day, and they have speakers over the entire city. There are millions of people that live in the city, but there are speakers everywhere, so everyone can hear the Muslim call to prayer five times a day, sometimes at two or three in the morning. It changes every day what the times are. But you would hear that constant Muslim call to prayer, and you felt isolated and alone because there's very few Christians there. But I want to tell you, we would join with their team and we would have a time of worship in a little bitty apartment. Here we are, this little speck of light in all this darkness, but I'm going to tell you, God was there. And I think of the church we went to in that city, and we worshiped with Christians there that had to go through two metal detectors past a riot police stop point just to get into their church. They had to go through two metal detectors. It took a long time just to get in the building because... They've been bombed. They've been threatened. Maybe we need to do something about that here in our church, bless God. If we put up some metal detectors, maybe more people will come or not. But I was amazed how, how much they were willing to sacrifice because they knew that they were a very small minority, but that didn't matter. God is everywhere. 
I will remember when I went to Israel and we went to a church, Christian church in Jerusalem. It was eight stories down, like in a bomb shelter. And yet when they began to sing in Hebrew, the same songs I know in English, I felt taken to heaven. I mean, when you hear worship in Hebrew, it does something to you. And so I was there and the presence of God was there because God's not limited to a particular place. And Jesus went on to tell this woman, you Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. The second point I want to make this morning is worship is not about a particular people. It's not about a particular place and it's not about a certain kind of people only. You see, the Samaritans only had the first five books of the Old Testament. They had Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They didn't have the Psalms. They didn't have the Proverbs. They didn't have Isaiah. They didn't have the major prophets, the minor prophets. How can you, can you imagine trying to worship God without the Psalms? I mean, it's a book of worship. It's a book of praise. And they didn't have that as part of their Bible. And so Jesus said, you worship what you don't even, you don't even know. You don't even know who God is. You don't even know God's word. And so you, you worship what you don't know, but he said the Jews worship what they do know. They had the entire Old Testament. They knew completely, and yet sadly they did, there were many that still did not believe. They had the prophecies about the Messiah. And salvation was offered to the Jewish people first because they were the lost sheep of Israel. And then it was offered to the Gentiles. Aren't you glad? We must always remember and be grateful that our salvation came through the Jewish race and the Jewish religion and the Jewish Messiah. That's why we love Israel and we pray for Israel. That's the roots of our faith. And so we should always be grateful for that and we, we should never forget that God wants to save the Jewish people and the nation of Israel. It's prophesied in the book of Romans that it will happen. But salvation was first to the Jews. Jesus even told his disciples, don't go to the Gentiles yet. Don't even go to the Samaritans yet. Only go to the lost sheep of Israel. Knowing all along that salvation would come to the Gentiles as, for, as well. Salvation is for everyone. Thanks to Jesus. Look at Romans 1.16. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. Do you see that? Now it's for everyone. doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile. It doesn't matter. Now the gospel and salvation is for everyone. It doesn't matter your nationality, your race, your ethnicity, your tribe, your clan, or your family. Everyone. Everyone can come and worship the one true God. I, we need to remember that. It's not just us. It's just not our kind of people. It's for everybody. God's worship is for every human soul. And we see this picture of what heaven is going to look like. And it's beautiful. I mean, can you imagine this as I read? This, it, this speaks of heaven and, and what's going to be going on there. Out of Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. After this I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language 
standing before the throne of God and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Can you imagine that day? When we are going to worship with every tribe, every nation, every language, can you imagine? We will hear worship in Chinese, and there will be worship in Japanese, and French, and Spanish, and Arabic, and Hebrew, English, and even Texan and Alabama, because those are languages of their own. you got to understand that. Now, I can say that because I've lived in Texas, and I still say y'all. Worship is not about a single group of people. So it's not a location. It's not about just only a certain group of people. Jesus went on to tell the woman that a time is coming and has now come when all true worshipers will worship the Father. Number three, worship is about a particular person. It's not about a particular people, but it is about a particular person. And there is only one way to God through Jesus Christ. There are not many paths to God. That sounds real popular today, but it's not what Jesus said. He said he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. And we, we shouldn't cower when we say that because it's their only hope. is Jesus Christ. And it's not a matter of where we worship. It's a matter of who we worship. Who do you worship? It really matters who we worship. And there's only one worthy to receive our worship, and that is the Lord God Almighty, our Father in heaven. And we see this when Satan took Jesus in the wilderness for temptation. And one of the temptations was about who you worship. Look at Luke chapter 4, verse 5. And the devil led him, speaking of Jesus, to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And Satan said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor, for it has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. So if you worship me, it will be all yours. Do you realize Satan wants your worship? And he'll bribe you to get it. He'll, he'll try to dangle something in front of you so you will worship him instead of the Lord. And Jesus answered, verse 8, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. We should worship God alone. He alone is worthy of our worship. And while we know that God is approachable, we can, because of the blood of Jesus, now think about it. In the Old Testament, only the priests could go into the holy place and only the high priest could go into the holy of holies to worship, to make sacrifice. And tr tradition tells us that even he had to have a rope tied around his foot in case he had done something wrong and had to drop dead, they could drag him out. My son Draper was about to go into his attic to look for something. I said, we need to tie a rope on your foot in case you don't make it. And I don't have to go up there and drag your body out. We'll just pull on the rope, just like the high priest. He wasn't amused. <laughs> and so the people really couldn't worship the Lord. 
until Jesus died and the temple veil was torn in two. The Holy of Holies created access for you and me. We can go into the Holy of Holies. Think about that. People couldn't do that. You and I can do that anytime, anywhere, anyplace. We can enter into the Holy of Holies and worship Almighty God and His presence is there. Oh, why do we take that for granted? Why don't we worship more? Why don't we enter that presence? Now, we have access because of Christ. The Lord is approachable in worship. We can come into his presence freely, but there is a caution. I mean, you know, in, in our worship the Lord, we have freedom. We can be genuine with the Lord. We can speak freely because he already knows our heart. But even though we have that access, we still need to have reverence. He is a holy God. So even though we have access to worship God, there's still a rope around our foot because we respect him. We revere him. We are inspired to be in awe of who God is. And I'm telling you, there are times in worship where I have sensed that awe of who God is. Holy, so pure, so loving, so powerful, so righteous. Look at Hebrews 12, 28 and 29. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. We should never forget that. As much as we have access to him, he is still a consuming fire. It matters who we worship. It also matters how we worship, reverence and awe. God is not looking just for worship. He is looking for true worshipers. There is a false worship when our hearts are not engaged. Jesus confronted the Pharisees. He says, your, your worship is worthless. It's in vain because it's all about rules taught by men. And he said, you, you come near me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. How I many you know we need to engage our heart in worship? We, we need to not just come flippantly or or distractedly, or bore, bore in boredom, we need to stay engaged in our worship. We can't just go through the motions. And that's the danger of worship. When we, when we worship, sometimes we start just getting accustomed to it, and we start going through the motions, and our heart becomes disengaged. Jesus said God wants true worshipers and he said to the woman at the well, God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. My last point, number four, worship is about a particular approach. It's about a particular person, but it's also how we approach that person. It's a matter of the attitude of our hearts. First of all, Jesus says we are to worship in spirit, because God is spirit. How many you know your spirit worships the Lord. Your, the, the Holy Spirit in you, the Spirit in you. God is Spirit. That means He is everywhere at, at every time. 
The Life Application Bible defines this. God as spirit means he is not a physical being limited to one place. He is present everywhere and he can be worshipped anywhere at any time. It is not where we worship that counts, but how we worship. And so we're to worship in the spirit. This is so important that we pray in the spirit, that we sing in the spirit, that we worship in the spirit because God is spirit. And secondly, Jesus said, you are to worship in truth. Truth is defined as that which is certain and correct, pure and genuine, and on which one can depend. Truth is both sound doctrine and consistent character. Truth is not in part, but it is in the whole. In other words, truth cannot be mixed with a little lie and still remain the truth. Truth has to remain 100% pure. If we try to dilute the truth and water it down, it no longer becomes truth. And isn't that what's happened in these days? The Bible prophesied that in the last days, evil would be called good and good would be called evil. And that's happening. And so we got to worship the Lord in truth. We, we have to be people of sincerity and genuineness. And we can't have truth mixed with a little bit of lie. Jolene and I are just loving grandkids. I'm telling you what, they're the greatest thing in the world. And I know, I'm sorry, I keep telling grandkids' story. It's better than North Dakota stories, okay? So, now, now I'm in the grandkid zone, but sometimes the, our grandsons want a drink of our beverage. And if you've ever had small children or small grandchildren, you know that they're going to take a drink, but they're going to leave something behind. They are going to backwash into your beverage, no matter what. So depends on how much you like that drink and how much you love that grandchild. <laughs> because, I mean, you know, you give a little drink and you come back and half their lunch is at the bottom of your cup. And you have a decision. Am I going to drink this? Hoping that lunch stays at the bottom or strain it through your teeth, you know, and keep the debris from getting in there. I got to tell you that I'm sorry, I love my grandkids, but you don't get to drink my cup. And if you do, it's yours. I don't know, I, I love them, but there's just something about backwash and debris from someone's mouth floating in my cup that I can't handle. And that's what truth is like. It may just be a little lie, a little flotation going on, a little floatsome going on there. But how I many you know, if it, it is, it's not truth. If there's any, any mixture of lie hypocrisy, insincerity, it's not truth. And you know what? When we worship God, we gotta be truthful. We gotta be real. We gotta be transparent. We gotta be honest about ourselves and our sin because he already sees it anyway, right? But God wants us to worship in spirit, but he wants us to worship in truth. And that doesn't mean we're perfect. We're, no one is. We can't come, if you come before God and say, I'm worshiping you because I'm perfect, you just proved you're not. It's like that thing about humility. As soon as you think you have it, you've lost it. And so we have to be truthful. And so you see what Jesus was doing? The lady had said a part of the truth. I'm not married. And Jesus was bringing her back to all of the truth. Because if you only tell some of the truth, 
you can't be set free. Remember what we studied last week. Jesus said, knowing the truth will set you free. And so the reason we worship in spirit and in truth is because that's what sets us free. Jesus is going to take this woman who has had quite a reputation, so much so that nobody likes her, not even the women in the city. Nobody likes her. And Jesus is going to set her free. And you know how he's going to set her free? By helping her face the truth about her condition. She can't be free until she's free of the sin. So Jesus went along with her on the subject of worship, but he brings her back around because he wants her to be completely free. The evidence of truth in our lives is obedience. Look at 1 John 2, 4. The man who says, I know him, speaking of God, but does not do what he commands is a liar, not a liar, a liar. And the truth is not in him. If we say we know the Lord, but we don't do what he commands, or if we're not truthful about our failings, then the truth is not in us. And the only way we can approach God is in spirit and in truth. Would you bow your heads with me today and close your eyes? I want to challenge you today, if you have never given your heart to Jesus Christ, today is the day. Don't delay. Don't wait any longer. We're not promised tomorrow. We have no idea what could happen. But right now, right here, the Lord is speaking to you. You feel that tug in your heart. You feel that. You know the Lord wants you to give your life to him. You sense it. Or maybe you've known the Lord, but you've walked away. But you know what? You're here, and God loves prodigals. He loves sons and daughters that come back home. And so I want you to know, don't feel guilty. Don't feel ashamed, because he's going to put a ring on your finger, and he's going to throw a party for you with all the angels, because you came back home. But you've got to be truthful. You've got to own it. You've got to accept it. You've got to be genuine. You've got to be real before God, because he knows anything. He knows everything anyway. And so if you've never given your life to God, but you're ready to today, or you know the Lord, but you walked away, but you want to come home, I want you just to slip up your hand. Anyone in this place, you're ready to give your life to Jesus Christ? Yes. Anyone else? And if you're watching online, just raise your hand, because God sees it, even though I can't. So if you raise that hand, both either here or at home, I want to lead you in a prayer. I don't want to let this be gone. I don't want to waste this opportunity because we're not promised tomorrow. And so if you raise your hand or even just were too afraid to, but you still want to give your life to Christ, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. Would you just repeat these prayers after me? And if you're already a Christian, would you join with them? So they're, they know we're a family. As Nathan was talking about, we're the family of God. And so would you join with them in prayer even if you've already given your heart to Jesus? Just repeat after me. Dear Jesus, I believe. I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe you rose from the dead. And I believe you're coming again for me. 
Dear Jesus, I receive. I receive you into my life. I receive all that you have for me. I receive your forgiveness. And I receive eternal life in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. If you said that prayer, we want to follow up with you, especially online. All you have to do is text the word born again to 94090. And if you do that, we can send you some material and reach out to you and make sure you start your faith journey together. Would you, would you stand with me? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. You're free to come to the altars and pray. You're free to stay at your seats and worship, or you're free to go. God bless you. Thank you for tuning in today. We are so excited that you joined us. If you chose to say yes to Christ today, we would love for you to text the word, born again, all one word, to 94090. By doing so, you will receive more information on your next steps in following Christ. We meet every Sunday at 8.30 and 11 a.m. right here in Bakersfield, California at 4901 California Avenue. We would love for you to join us in person. Also, we have a live stream service at 11 a.m. every Sunday morning. You can find us on YouTube and Facebook. If you'd like more information about Bakersfield First Assembly of God, you can search us on the internet at bakersfieldfirst.com. Thank you for joining us today and have a blessed week.